Yes. Welcome, my friends, to Awesome Ascendancy. Today we begin a new series. We're going to be learning about the 15 Psalms that are known as Shir HaMa'alot, the Songs of Ascent. Today's class has been generously sponsored by my dear friends, Ron and Lena Berman, to commemorate the art sites of Ron's brother, whose name was Bernard Chaim, Ben Yisrael and Lina's father, Avraham Ben Svi, may their neshamas have an aliyah, and may the Torah that we study together serve as a sense of solace and uplifting for those holy neshamas in the other world. Shir Hamalois, the 120th Psalm, begins with the words, a song of a sense. And before we begin to actually study the verses of the Shirhamalos, we are going to speak about the notion of the Shirhamalot. This is, interestingly, the way the Parshanim, those who explain the scripture, begin their commentary on Psalm 120. So let's take a look at Rashi. How does he introduce Shehamalot? He simply says, and I quote, Sheyomru halavim oto, the song of ascents that the Levites will say or chant, al chameshes on the 15 steps, hayordot, which go down, me'ezrat Yisrael, from the courtyard, known as Ezrat Yisrael, the courtyard or area, arena of Israel, Ad Ezrat Noshem into the outer courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash, which was called the woman's courtyard. Rachi continues and he says that these 15 songs of ascent, which were chanted by the Levites on the steps that connected the woman's court and the Israelite court in the Beit HaMikdash, the Yeshkan Chamesha Mizbeirim, we have 15 psalms, and that corresponds to the 15 Shir Hamalot, the 15 songs of ascent, 15 songs, 15 psalms, 15 steps, a perfect synchronicity and corollary. That's how Rashi introduces us to the notion of these special psalms. Now, there are no other psalms that have the very same beginning, or at least a very similar beginning, 14 times. One is Sher Lamalot, but 14 of the times it's Sher Hamalot. And the obvious question that I think we're going to try to understand and address today is what is the deep history, the origin, the backstory of these 15 psalms, how and why are they essentially able to comprise a unique portion or increment within the collection of prayers, songs, and praises known as Sefer Tehillim? And what might that mean for us today? 
Why, why is that relevant? Why is that meaningful? These are some of the questions I'm going to try, with Hashem's help, to provide perspective on. Now, just as Rashi begins with his commentary about the 15 steps and the notion of Levites chanting, Rabbeinu David Kimri, the great Sephardic commentator on the Tanakh, known as Radak, also begins his commentary in like fashion. He says, Elu shire hamalot. These are the songs of ascents. These are 15, chamishasar. In other words, Radak indicates that these 15 comprise a single unit. The Amru, and he says, it is said, ki because the Levites used to chant it, in the 15 stairs, madreges, shahoyu baharabayas, which were found on the Temple Mount between Ezrat Yisrael and Ezrat Nashim, Radak says, Shahoya Olin Bahem, one would go up from the woman's court into the Israelite court, Le Ezrat Yisrael. And Radak says, Omrim Shir Echad, Achat. There would be one psalm or song per level. Fifteen levels, fifteen psalms, fifteen songs. They were approximately nine inches each, half an amma. And so when you went up a step, you'd recite or chant the next psalm. Now it seems that this might be referring to Levites, but it also perhaps could refer to anybody approaching the Ezra Yisrael. The Mitzudas David similarly says these 15 psalms of ascent or songs of ascent were said by David HaMelech, Amor of David, so that the Levites would say this, in the 15 steps, which go up from Ezrat Nashim from the woman's courtyard to Ezrat Anashim. And the Mitzudas David similarly says, Shir Achad, Okol Maila Achad, one song per step. So this is the way all, essentially, of the, the primary commentators open when they speak about these 15 psalms. It's very interesting to note that Rabbeinu Menachem Iri, in his commentary, begins by saying, I really have nothing new to tell you. <laughs> he says, because all the other Mepharshim say it already. 15 psalms, songs of ascent, 15 stairs going up. Then he adds something very interesting. How did King David create 15 songs of ascent corresponding to 15 stairs? The Beit HaMikdash wasn't yet built. If anything, it should have said that Solomon built the Beit HaMikdash in the image of the 15 Psalms. But the Mepharshim don't say that. So, the Me'iri sheds light on this mystery. He says, Yidiyat Tziur Beit HaMikdash, the knowledge of the layout, the appearance of the Beit HaMikdash, Nitan Ledovid Binavua. This was prophetically communicated to David HaMelech. As it says, Hakol Bichsav Miyad Hashem In the Book of Chronicles, it speaks about the notion of inspiration, intuition, for the design of the Beis HaMikdash coming 
from a higher and deeper place. And David HaMelech, in fact, made the preparations for the actual building of the Beis HaMikdash. The Chiber, and because he was aware of God's plan, knew the layout and structure, the image of the Beit HaMikdash. So he composed Chamesha Shemizmerim Elu. He composed these 15 psalms, Sheyiu Halavim Mizamrim Betesvav Milas, so that the Levites might chant or songfully say these on the stairs that were on the Har Habayat, Beshetach Sof Ezrat Noshim, at the end, the western end of the courtyard called Women's. Shabahem Hoya Olim, it was through those stairs that one would be able to ascend Le Ezrat Yisrael to the proverbial courtyard of Israel. Each was a half amma, say a half amma is 18 inches, not very high steps, nine inch steps. Mizmor Echad, the Maila Achat. Each psalm chanted, sung on a different stair or level. So there you have it. The primary key to understanding these 15 songs is that David Melech composed it corresponding to the 15 stairs leading from the Ezrat Noshim to the Ezrat Yisrael. I want to point out something interesting that I noticed. And I don't necessarily know the answer, but I want to put this out there, and perhaps later on we'll come back to this. In the Radak, it's very clear in identifying these stairs as Olinbahem, stairs ascending from a lower plateau to a higher plateau. The Mitzudas David says, Ha'olot, ascending. Radak says, Ha'yuolot, they would ascend. Mitzudas David says, Ha'olot, are ascending. The Meiri says, that these stairs were those which ascended. Hoyu olim, they would ascend on the stairs, la Ezrat Yisrael. And after all, they're called Song of Ascent, so it just makes sense that the Song of Ascent is about ascending. Very interestingly, the first commentary I shared with you today, that of Rashi's, Rashi says, Chamesha say ma'alot, the 15 stairs, which are called ma'alot, or levels, indicating height or ascension, Rashi says, hayordot mi'ezrat Yisrael ad ezrat Nashim. Rashi doesn't look at these stairs as the ones that go up to the Israelite plateau or courtyard. He frames these stairs as the ones that go down from the Israelite plateau to the lower plateau, which was called the Ezrat Nashim, the woman's courtyard. I find that quite fascinating. Why does Rashi choose to view these as the stairs upon which we would be descending instead of viewing these as the stairs that we would be ascending? Especially because Shir Hama'alot means a song of ascending, ascending, going higher, not lower. Very unusual. We know that every single word of Rashi was written with tremendous precision. Our Rebbe would spend hours at the Fabringens, especially from 1964 onward, expounding on the tiniest detail 
the smallest nuance, the most maybe sophisticated little distinction in the verbiage, verbiage of syntax employed by Rashi. So this is not something small and really should be understood. So I'm pointing that out. Everything I've shared with you until now essentially explains the notion of shir hama'alot, song of ascents, as referring to the ascending staircase, or the staircase that has uh, levels going up. The notion of ma'alot are mentioned approximately 30 times in the scripture, and each time it means either levels or grades. So there were 30 levels or grades, known in English as stairs or a staircase, that was connecting or as a bridge between the lower plateau and the higher plateau, according to most of the sages, ascending, Rashi talks about descending. Now there is another understanding of the notion of shir hamalot. And that's found in the commentary of Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra quotes Rabbeinu Sadya Go'on. He says, Hagoon Omar, the Go'on said. And we know when he says Hagoon that he's referring to Rabbi Sadya Go'on. Elu Hashirim Chameshasrei, these 15 songs, Keneged Chameshasrei Mailis. They correspond to the notion of 15 ascents. 15 ascents. He doesn't speak about stairs. He doesn't speak about Beit HaMikdash. He says they correspond to 15 ascents. Then he says, Gamomar, he also said, Yitachen shuhu al neginot bekol elyon. This would be indicative of the fact that these songs were sung differently at a very high key. And because they were sung at a high key, it seems that the Levites, when they sang these songs, they raised their voices to a very high pitch. So according to Rebsadji Gohan, there is a song of ascents. He doesn't say ascending from where to where, but just ascending or songs that uplift or ascend. And he says it's also because of the manner in which they were sung at a high key or high pitch. Interestingly, the Me'iri, after sharing with us the notion of a correlation between the steps linking the woman's courtyard to the Israelite courtyard, the Me'iri also says, Yesh Mefarshim, there are those who explain the notion of a song of ascents. Mishorerim otam namoch because initially they were sung at a lower key, but there would be an ascending pitch. The songs would become more resonant, louder. They would rise in sound and in key. Until at the end, and I presume at the end of 15 songs, the 15th, or maybe in each of the songs, they would be sung at the highest pitch. So it's not precisely the same thing. The Bissadja talks about all of these songs sung at a very high key or high pitch. The Me'idi says they were at an ascending pitch, starting off low, and they would continuously build and go much higher. Generally speaking, songs build. That's the nature of a song. The Rebbe once explained about a very unique song called Shamil's Nigan, that it isn't quite a nigan, it isn't quite a song. The notion of Shamil's Nigan is a... <laughs> A story in and of itself. And actually, on my YouTube channel, and I, I always encourage people to subscribe and to enable notifications, there is a, 
a mini section, which is called the Rebbe's Nigunim, and you'll, you'll see myself and a well-known Jewish singer named Shlomo Safran talking about this song called Shamiyaz Nigun, and then he sings it. So if you'll go back and watch that, if you want to know more about Shamiyaz Nigun, one of the things that Ebba said about it is that songs, as a rule, begin at a lower pitch, and songs, by nature, ascend. However, he says, Shamiyaz Nigun starts at a high pitch to begin with. It starts very loud, very high, I mean, high pitch. And Rebbe said, because Shamil's Nigan is not a song, but it's a tenua. It's a melodic expression. It's an expression of yearning, he said. You don't begin to yearn slowly. When you yearn for something, when you crave something, when you, when you miss it very badly, and you express a yearning for it, then that yearning bursts, you burst into song at a high key. So perhaps there's some relationship, a correlation between the way the Rebbe defines songs in general, music as rising from a lower key, from a lower rest, to be able to move up higher, and then the notion of shir hamalot, which seemed to begin on a very high pitch. Perhaps it represents the notion of yearning. Perhaps. I believe that as we will continue to study these extraordinary verses, 101 of them all together, when you string all the Shiramala together, these 101 strings uh, of verses will Bezrat Hashem shed much light as to what David Melech was yearning for and how and why this particular collection of psalms and verses really is unique and stands apart from the rest. Anyway, this is a, a second reason for the notion of Shir HaMalot. Now Rashi himself goes on and he says to us, in order to appreciate the notion of Shir HaMalot, I need to introduce you to history. There's a history here. So far we've said that they are composed by King David for the purpose of the Beit HaMikdash, of the Levites, not just who would sing these songs, but where they would be sung. They are kind of geographically linked to the staircase that bridged the lower courtyard and the higher courtyard. So Rashi is not satisfied only to share with us what he just told us about the notion of David and Melech composing them, corresponding to the 15 levels, moving up in the Beit HaMikdash. He says, Rabbi Seno Amru, a rabbi taught us that there's a deep history here. That David arranged these songs for an ascending purpose to raise up the watery abyss beneath the crust of earth. As is explained in Mesechet Sukkah on page 53, and we're going to take a look in a moment at the Gemara. Rashi adds, the word hama'alot is a conjunction of shir. Hama'alot is a shir of olot for 100 degrees. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. There is a version of the same story that's found in Masechet Sukkah. On page 43 in the Babylonian Talmud, there is a very, very similar story which is found in the Jerusalem Talmud. But in the Jerusalem Talmud, there's a slightly different variation of it. And there... It seems that there is a business of the abyss or the waters rising 100 degrees at a time. And that was connected to the Shir HaMalot. 
So Rashi seems to kind of allude to both the Babylonian version as well as the Jerusalem version of the story in which David HaMelech elevates or brings up the waters from the abyss, and that's why it's called Shir HaMalot. Rashi is not the only one who alludes to this deep history. In fact, Radak does just about the same thing. He says, Oh, he's going into a little more detail. He doesn't just say, look at the Gemara. The Gemara says he was raising up the abyss, the watery abyss, but he gives the fuller story. David HaMelech was digging the foundations for the future Beis HaMikdash. And in doing so, he hit or struck uh, 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 the, the, the depths, the watery depths. And, and this was a problem. This was, there was this, this burst, the geyser of water burst forth, and endless waters began to flow, threatening to inundate and engulf everything. And over there, Achitofel, who is in some ways a senior of David HaMelech in learning, in Torah, Torah knowledge, Achitofel indicates something about a Shem HaMaforish, about a ineffable name of God, a shard of pottery, and the Tahom sinks 16,000 ama, 16,000 cubits, and that wouldn't be good, because that would make planet Earth very dry, and the depth, the soil needs to be moist, closer to its watery source, because the soil is moistened from the sources of subterranean water beneath the tectonic plates or crust of earth. And so, Omar Chamesha Semailis, he recited these 15 ascents. He brought it up, 15,000 amot, and it stopped just one ama beneath the surface of what we call the, 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 the earth or the soil. Now, this idea is alluded to in other Mepharshim as well. And it becomes then yet another reason for Hama'alot, for a song of ascents, because David HaMelech used these songs in order to elevate the watery repositories of waters in the abyss below. Now, it's, it's interesting to note that Rashi himself, since he looks at the Hamesha Esri Malot, the stairs as coming down, descending, not ascending, really needs to lean on that Gemara, because without that Gemara, we still don't have a good understanding of why they're called ascents, with the exception that stairs in Hebrew are called Malot, but Rashi seems to see the stairs primarily as going down rather than up. At any rate, this is, so we have so far reason number one, representing the stairs, according to most going up the stairs, or stair, stairs are called ma'alot. Number two, there's this notion of the pitch in which it was sung, whether it was all sung at a very high pitch or at an ascending pitch, possibly more so than other songs, reaching a higher pitch the highest of pitches, a soprano, if you will, of, of pitches in the end of these songs. And now, a third reason, which is historical. The origin of these songs was used by King David to raise up the watery depths. And now, 
we are given yet a fourth reason for the, for the notion of Shia Hamalot, Song of Ascents. Radak tells us, and before I go on, I should note that Rashi gives us two versions of Shia Hamalot, even for Ascents, or Ma'alot as a permutation of Meya Olot, a hundred Ascents. That's very similar, but slightly different in verbiage. The Yesh Lefarash says Radak, there is yet another way to look at this, another way to in interpret and explain. Pirish, ma'alot ha'galut, sha'asidim la'alot This refers to the ascent from exiles, from the exiles that would happen in the future, when Mashiach will come, the exiles. We, the children of Israel who have been driven from the land of Israel, will come from various places ascending to Eretz Yisrael. So that's the notion of Shir Hamalot. That's why it has this introduction. It's the song of ascents with these songs. We will ascend to Israel. And these songs, it is essentially an expression or an utterance of the exiles. The psalmist speaks about Tsarot Hagalut. He speaks about the affliction, the sorrow, the suffering of the exiles. The Zohar Bahem, he also mentions within them, the hope of deliverance along with the assurance that it will transpire. So that's why it's called Shira Malot, because it represents the notion of the ascension of the exiles returning to Zion. Ibn Ezra speaks about something very similar. He says, this shir is Yunugun al Noom Hamalot. It's sung on the highest of pitches, or most pleasant of pitches. And it's Beruach HaKodesh Ne'emar al Anshigalutenu. It is prophetically intoning the voices, the expressions of those exiled. V'layodu Mayasu. It becomes a point. We don't, don't know what to do. We don't know how to proceed. And so, when we don't know how to proceed or what to do, Rak, all we know is Likroi el Hashem to cry out to Hashem who we revere and honor. So we have this notion of the ascension of the exiles. The Sepharno says something very similar, as does the Me'iri. The Me'iri says, the intention of these songs, most of them refer to the travail, the suffering, the affliction, the difficulty of exile, and the prophetic vision of salvation and redemption. He says it also, it refers indeed to the sorrows, but also refers to the trust, to the certitude that we have of Hashem's deliverance. The Sepharno puts it so bluntly. He says, These are the songs we will sing on the day the exiles are ingathered. In the days of Mashiach, The remnants to whom the Almighty will call forth, Sephora says something very interesting. Hashem will call us forth in the end. 
He'll invite us all, bring us all home, each according to his level. So ma'ala does not only mean ascension, it also means different level or virtue. The yashir kol each and every one of us will be able to express ourselves when Mashiach comes, to sing Hashem's praises. Each and every one of us will have the opportunity to pray for ourselves and for others. Each according to the virtue or spiritual plateau that they have individually reached. So it refers to a song of ascents because we'll be coming up from the Galut. And also, Sepharno says, within that frame of coming up from the Galut, there's this notion of Hashem bringing us home individually. And we will each express ourselves in accordance with whatever spiritual level we have attained or achieved, presumably during the difficult days of Galut, as we head into the messianic era of salvation and redemption. So now we have two more reasons as to why we call it Shia Ma'alot. We call it Shia Ma'alot because it refers to ascending from Galut. We call it Shia Ma'alot, the song of virtues, of high levels, because we will each express ourselves in accordance with the levels that we reach. The Ibn Yichya adds something very interesting with regard to the levels that people might reach. And he says that when you take a look in the Mishnah, it speaks about 14 levels of growth, beginning at the age of five. It says, Ben Chamesh Mikra. And then after it talks about the age in which we begin to study scripture, we then move on to the age in which we study Mishnah and Gemara, and then where we start to make our mark on the world get out there and light the world on fire, as they say, get things done. And every decade has a different marker, 14 markers in total. And Ibn Yichya says, of course, the first five years of our life is in the hands of our parents. They will raise us. So Ibn Yichya says, when we speak about the individual virtues of each individual, we could not ignore the fact that every person in and during the trajectory of a full life, a full century of life, a full 10 decades, would go from level to level until we reach Ben Meir. So that, therefore there's this notion of personal and private expression and everybody doing it as best as he or she can. Now before we go a little bit deeper and talk about the, you know, the, the notion of what these 15 levels represent, I want to take an opportunity to go into the actual source, to take a look at the actual Gemara, and then we'll take a look at a very interesting Medrash. So let's begin with the Gemara. So the Gemara starts, it's a Mishnah, in the fifth chapter of Masechet Sukkah, and over there, the Mishnah is talking about the celebrations in the Beit HaMikdash during the festival of Sukkot, which was called Simchat Beit HaShoeva, which is called the joy of gathering or drawing water. And once a year on Sukkot, water, not just wine, was poured as a libation on the Mizbeach. 
where did those libations or wine and once a year water go down into? The answer is they went into a, a, a deep pipe or a deep, uh, I guess you would call it tunnel, a cavity in the ground which is known as the sheetim, deep into earth's crust. We go into the sheetim and that was how we served Hashem. There was fiery offerings, offerings that were, if you will, proverbially ascending heavenward in a plume of smoke. And then there was the notion of libations that were poured downward, a downward flow. There was, these are known as nisachim. And once a year, the downward flow entails the pouring of water, nisachamayim. And this was cause for great joy. So the Mishnah says that the Levites would... There would be people with all kinds of torches, juggling fire. And then it says, The Levian would have harps and violins and cymbals and, and trumpets. All kinds of musical instruments. It wasn't even a specific number. It wouldn't have to be 101 strings. However many it was. Enormous amounts of Levites who played exquisite music. And they were able to do so in perfect Symphony. And they did it. Ah, interesting. So Rashi here is then paraphrasing the words of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says that the 15 stairs which went down from Ezrat Yisrael to Ezrat Nashim, and he says, Keneged, that corresponds to Chamesh Esrei, and here there's a discussion whether the word Ma'alot is introduced, or Shir Ha'malot, the 15 levels, heights, or song of ascents, Shebetehilim. Sha'aleihem, Sha'aleihem levim omdim, Bechli Shir Omrim Shira. That the 15 stairs corresponded to the 15 songs, a little different here in the Mishnah. Here we hear about the stairs corresponding to the song of ascents rather than the song of ascents corresponding to the stairs. And he says, the Omrim, and they would say, Shira. They would say, they would say, uh, open their mouths in song. So, what does this have to do with, with Nisuchamayim? What does it have to do with the pouring of, of water, or water libations? So, the Maharsha says that this Shira, that this song, this music that emanated from those stairs the stairs, those 15 stairs, was performed in honor of the water libation. And the water libation, the Gemara in Mesechet Tanit on page 25 says, was Kadei Sheyid Meat Hom, so that the waters of the deep, the deep abyss, would be, if you will, blessed. And after all, we're going to take a look at the Gemara soon. The David recited the Shira Malot on raising up the waters, raising the abyss or the deep repositories of water. And so, Marshal says, because as we'll see in the Gemara, David HaMelech recited these verses in order to raise up the water level, it would make perfect sense for us to sing these Shira Malot on those stairs and play music there, especially at the time when we do something which is water-related. So that's what the Mishnah says. 
let's take a look now at the Gemara. The Gemara is found in Daphnun Gimel. The Gemara says that we learned in the Mishnah that there's this business of 15 stairs and Levites chanting or singing upon them. Says the Gemara, it corresponds to the 15, the stairs correspond to the 15 songs. So the Gemara says, what does this mean? Rav Chista said to a member of the sages, the rabbinic body, the rabbis, the teachers of Talmud, who was arranging the Agadic teachings, the stories of the Gemara, the, the, the colorful narratives of the Gemara. And I, I should add the mystical, deep, secret metaphors, because that's really how we see the Agadata, Reiv Sodota Torah, most of the secrets of the Torah are encoded into the Agadic narratives of the Gemara. So the Gemara says, Avchista said to the sage who was a master of Agadic organization, and he said to him, Shmi Aloch, have you heard? Do you have anything, any information about the 15 songs of ascent? For whom, for what did King David compose these verses? For, for what was it arranged? It seems like Rebchista didn't know. It seems Rebchista, that wasn't something he was aware of. He was a master of halacha, not a master of Agadah. So he asks the person who's an expert on Agadah, do you happen to have a record? Do you know? Do we know what David HaMelech was thinking? What motivated that profusion of poetic song? So this unnamed sage says, Amr yes, yes, we do. We do. Hochi Amr This is what Rabbi Yechanan taught. And I quote, which quotes Rabbi Yechanan. When David was digging deep into the bedrock of the Temple Mount Ahar Habayit, and he was digging out or fashioning the Shitan, those large canals or hollow areas that would be under the Mizbeach into which the libations would go. So when David was doing this, it seems they broke open the source of the subterranean waters. There became a surge, a raging, a raging storm of water, a flood of water. And these flood waters began to, to flow with tremendous force to the point that it sought that it would create a global flood. At the, the rate that these waters were rushing, and the seemingly unending nature of these waters could have engulfed the whole world. That's what the Gemara says. Omar David, it says, David immediately recited, he recited these chapters of Tehillim, and the waters quieted. That's what the Gemara says. It's like the short version. There was a problem, they hit the water source, the water main burst, all of a sudden it threatened to flood everything, David Amalek says 15 songs of ascent and the waters descend. The Gemara says, hmm, really? So David Amalek said these songs to cause the waters to descend. 
Well, then pray tell, if so, if this was all about having the waters descend, why are they called 15 ascensions? It should be called the 15 songs of descent, not ascent. They should have been calling the descending songs, not the ascending ones. So the Gemara says, Omar lay, Rav Chista told the sage, Hoyil ve'it karton milso, since you mentioned this, let me tell a little secret. I really did know this. I wanted to see what you had, but I, I did know the answer. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Hochi itmar, this is the way it was learned. So whether Rav Chista knew this in advance and he wanted to see what the sage would say, what, he, what, what, what goods he had, or maybe Rav Chista didn't remember and he was reminded, but at any rate, Rav Chista now shares with us the fuller narrative. And that's the narrative that's preserved for posterity here in Mesechet Sukkah. And the fuller narrative, narrative goes like this. Bishashah Karta David at the time when David was digging these deep cavities in the ground, Kafa Tahima Uva Lemishtifa Oma. They cracked open the, so to speak, plate of the earth, and the waters, flood waters, began to rage and flow in unending fashion. We got problems. Jerusalem, we have a problem. Omar David, David said, Mi ika the yoda ishari Is there somebody here who knows if it's permissible to write the name of God in order to stop the floodwaters? A chaspa, on a shard of, on a shard of pottery, and then to throw it into the waters, as Rashi tells us. And he says that's because a shard of pottery is a shard of pottery would sink rather than float, and so it would take the waters down with it. Rashi also talks about this notion in Agada, the Agada of Sefer Shmuel, that this was, uh, this was the Tohoim Rabbah that's discussed at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. Anyway, does anybody know if I can do this? And then it will sink into the depths and it will enable the waters to relax or recede. Nobody said anything. Omar David, David said, Call the Yodelamimer, anybody who knows the answer to this question. And he isn't saying, May he suffocate. Or choke on his very throat. But it says, all of a sudden, At that moment, Achitoifel's mind started working, and he said, I have what's called an a fortiori method of argument. There is this process known as the sota or suspected adulteress. So we have a marriage that's on the rocks, and Hashem says, I'm prepared that my name be erased in order for me to be able to bring about peace between husband and wife. So what happens here is that there is a Megillah, a special piece of parchment written with Hashem's name, and that piece of parchment written with Hashem's name is then erased into the water or potion 
that this suspected individual has to drink. So the Achitefel said, Hashem allows his name to be erased in order to bring about peace. Ben ish le ishtoi. So lasses shalom lechol ha'olam to bring peace to the whole world and save us all from a raging flood. Alachas kama v'kama. Surely Hashem would allow this. Amar And so Achitofel says to David, Shari, it's permissible. The Gemara says, Kosav Sheim Achaspa. David and Melech wrote the name of Hashem on this shard. V'shadil Tehem, he threw it into the depths. V'nachis Tehem, Sheisar Alfei Garmidei. And so the depths sunk 16,000 Amot. Kichazid in Avchis Tuve, when David and Melech saw how low the water had receded, Omar Kama, the Midli Tvei, Mirtav Alma. This is not good. If the water gets too low, it's going to cause the crust of earth to become very, very dry and unfertile. Omar, so at that point, David HaMelech said, Then he said the 15 Psalms of Ascent. And when he said the Psalms of Ascent, 15 Psalms, 15,000 feet. So the deep was restored to just beneath the surface of the crust of earth, and there the depths stopped just a thousand cubits from the crust of earth. And Ula said, from here we know, we can know from this that the watery depths or abyss is just a thousand amot beneath the ground. The Gemara says, really? You don't have to dig a thousand amot to get a well. And the Gemara says, no, no, no. That's because there are watery tributaries that flow at a much, much higher level of, in the ground. But the actual abyss is a full thousand amot. What exactly this means, I do not claim to know. But I'm just telling you what the Gemara says. There's a whole discussion amongst the rabbis whether David Melech really did know this, but he didn't want to be the one to say it. Or he didn't know it, but he knew that Achitofel probably would. At any rate, that's the story in the Gemara. So now you know it. Now you got it. There's the story. The reason that all the Mepharshim are alluding to the notion of where this all began, they go back to the concept of, of uh, back to the concept of, of the stairs in the base of Migdash. But the stairs in the base of Migdash are not really the origin. The deep history is that David Melech said them not to have the water go down, but rather to have the water rise and come back so that earth will be well hydrated and there will be moisture. Okay, so, <laughs> so there's deep history here. And it represents the past. Before the Beis Amigdash was built, it represents the structure of the Beis Amigdash in our lives today. And it represents this notion of the future, how we will sing to Hashem in the time that Mashiach comes. So our sages point out that it also has a present representation. The Ravon, the Benu Eliezer Ben Nosson, one of the great Rishonim who served as a Tosafist, is mentioned oftentimes in the commentary, the Tosafist commentary on the Talmud. He says that these 15 different psalms are also the origin for the Kaddish. 
you know, the mourner's prayer. The prayer that's recited by the chazan at prime intervals in the prayer when we are moving from one plateau to the next, like a stairs, like a set of stairs, like going from Ezrat Nashim to Ezrat Yisrael, going from what we call the preamble to davening, going into davening, and then the notion of going from the psukah de Zimra verses of praise into blessings of Shema. He says the notion of these 15 levels, of these 15 psalms, is the image in which the Kaddish was built. Because the Kaddish has 15 shvachim. And the Ravon says the Kaddish is built with 15 praises in the image of those 15 stairs. Furthermore, says Ravon, when we go from, praise, pray, from, from the verses of praise in our morning prayers into the blessings of Shema, the way we conclude the notion of Psukah de Zimra before the Chazan, before the leader of the congregation recites Kaddish, is with the prayer called Yishtabach Shim Cholaad. And he says, in Yishtabach, there are also 15 praises of Hashem. Furthermore, that Avon says, after the Shema, as we begin to prepare, to elevate into the climax of prayer, which is known as Amida Ushma Nasrei, we follow the Shema with Emet V'yatsiv, until the word Tov V'yofa, which are 15 descriptions of how beautiful, how exquisite, how precise, how true, how all-pervading is our Torah. He says emet is not included because emet is actually a part of the Shema. So we have 15 expressions. And once again, it's interesting to note, I'm just noting this, that Ravan doesn't say it explicitly, but these are moments in the prayer where we go from level to level, going from one level, ascending to a higher level. So we do so with the proverbial 15 ascents or 15 stairs. In other words, it's not only the stairs in the base of Migdash, but this is in our daily ascent in prayer before Hashem, we are also using these 15 levels, or stairs, if you will. So now it starts to get really interesting. Why is it going to get really interesting? Well, it's going to get really interesting, my friends, because, because there's a, a deeper history that we haven't yet talked about. And the deeper history is that we have a medrash. And the medrash Rabbah, which I'm going to expound on in much greater detail, Bezrat Hashem, in the Ascent Part 2, the medrash Rabbah essentially says the following. Yaakov, our father Jacob, did not lay down to sleep during the entire duration of his working for Lavan, for his father-in-law Laban, who was a duplicitous and very unsavory character. That's where Yaakov marries, Lavan's daughters, and that's where he raises most of his family. Only Binyamin, Benjamin, is born in the land of Eretz Yisrael. So the Medrash over there is able to expound from the verses that Yaakov never laid down to sleep. Because it says, Vayishkav b'mokemahu, Yaakov laid down laid his head down to rest at the Temple Mount. This is where he receives his famous vision and prophecy with a ladder upon which angels were ascending and angels were descending. This is where God encapsulates the fortune of the future nation Yaakov will found, Bnei Yisrael, with the words, Ufaratzta, 
to powerfully spread forth, spread forth explosive growth in all directions. So at that time, it says Yaakov laid his head down to sleep. And the Gemara says that Nehemiah Amar Khan Shachav, here he slept, Avakol Chav Shana, all 20 years, Sha'aman Bevesa Shalavan, that he remained in the house of Lavan, Loi Shachav, Yaakov did not lay down to sleep. So the, the Medr says, hmm, he didn't lay down to sleep. He was really busy. What was he saying? Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, I'll tell you what he was saying. Tesvav shir hamalot shebesefer tehillim. He was reciting the 15 psalms beginning with the words song of ascents. How do you know that? That's, that's incredible. How do you know that? So the Gemara says, why would you say that? He says, because it says, Shehamah little David, a song of a sense of David, Lulei Hashem Shehayolano, Yomar no Yisrael. If not for God having been with us, said Israel. And the Medrash says that refers not to the nation, but rather to the individual, to the personage of Yaakov. So he said it, so to speak. Yaakov said it. If not for you, God, I never could have survived. So this is a very, very difficult matter to understand. First of all, it gives like an extraordinary kind of history here. It's not about, this is not 3,000 years old. It's like hundreds of years older than that. It goes back to before there were 12 tribes even. It goes back to Jacob. And not only it goes back to Jacob, it goes back to the site of the Shitin, as the Chidah says, but this is the site of the, site of the Shitin that David and Melech would dig when Yaakov was collecting stones, making a pile of stones above the ground of, of, the, of, 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 those, of the Beis Amigdash. And the Chidah adds that you should know that this also corresponds to the 15 words in Berchat Kohanim, bringing the blessings of Hashem down to us. And it also corresponds to 15 Words which are found in the Pasuk Vizacharti at Briti Yaakov, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, a verse that alludes to the Beis Hamikdash or Mokim Arkeda, a verse that speaks about a future redemption through Mashiach when Hashem remembers us, 15 different letters corresponding to these 15 Shir Hamalot. The Chidah brings this in the name of Rabboni Ashkenaz, of the Germanic rabbis, Hakadmonim, the very early Germanic rabbis probably even from the time of the Talmud or just after it. So why is this such a problem? I'll tell you why it's such a problem. This is a problem because, contrary to what most people think, David HaMelech did not write the entire book of Tilim, but rather he did what's called redaction. He redacted the book of Tilim. The Gemara in Meseches Bavabasa on page 14b on the very bottom speaks about the authorship of the Bible. And it says, Sefer Tehillim, the book of Tehillim, al Yedei Asara Zekenim, was compiled by ten elders. Who were the ten elders? al Yedei Adam Arishan, first Adam, the first human being. al Yedei Malki Tzedek, 
Malki Tzedek is the son of Noach, also known to us as Shem. He was the original king of a small village known as Shalem or Salem. That is the future site of Yerushalayim. Al Yedei Avraham. Malki Tzedek is older than Avraham. Avraham is ten generations after, after Noach. Malki Tzedek is the son of Noach. So now we have Adam, Malki Tzedek, Avraham, Al Yedei Moshe, through Moses, Al Yedei Haman, through an inspired man whose name was Haman, not Haman, but Haman HaEzrachi, and Haman HaEzrachi, as we say in Tehillim, Maskele Haman HaEzrachi was a person who poured his heart forth with a sense of divine intuition and prophetic profusion before Hashem when he sang, Val Yedei Yedusun, and before another such individual whose name is Yedusun, Val Yedei Asaf, who wasn't a prophet but spoke with the Holy Spirit of Ruach HaKodesh, Val Yedei Shalosha B'nei Korach, through the three sons of Korach. And that gives us a sum total of ten authors. Let's count that over together again. We have the notion of Avram, we have the notion of Malkitzedek, Pardon me, Adam, Malkitzedek, Avraham, Moshe. After Moshe Rabbeinu, we talk about Haman, we talk about Yudusun, we talk about Asaf, and then the three sons of Korach. That gives you ten. So the Tosfas has a whole discussion about this. What does that mean? Is, who is Avraham? There is no Pasuk as Avraham. So, well, it says Eitan, and Avraham is Eitan. Eitan means strong. And Avram was very strong and very powerful. He stood against the whole world. So Avram is Eitan. And then there's a discussion, no, maybe Avram is not Eitan. Maybe Eitan is Eitan and Avram is Avram. And where would Avram be alluded to? There's a whole discussion in the Tesfus. whole discussion. Is who exactly are these ten authors? And, and who, might, who might they be? Who do they represent? And so on and so forth. And then the Tosfus comes along at the very end and suggests that Eitan HaEzrochi might be Yaakov. But Yaakov's name is never actually mentioned. And here's my problem. <laughs> First of all, we read, not only once, I think at least twice we read today, David HaMelech Hebron. David HaMelech arranged these 15 Psalms. A variety of ways we explained how and why David did it. He did it corresponding to the stairs that he knew would be. He did it in the time when there was this explosion of the deep, of waters in the deep that threatened to inundate, or because he wanted to bring the water up from the ground. It's all about David Amelah, the David Amelah Psalms. And even according to the opinion in the Tosfos, on the Gemara of Basra, on page 14b onto 15a, the Tosfos says, maybe Eitan HaEzrachi is Yaakov, maybe. There's, there's a maybe. But even if Eitan HaEzrachi is Yaakov, and the Tosfos himself says that that doesn't even work out. Because if Eitan HaEzrachi is Yaakov, then where's Avram? And the Gemara openly says Avram. So in the end, the Tosfos himself doesn't really accept this notion that Yaakov might be alluded to and called by Eitan HaEzrachi, but Shir HaMalos? Nobody says Shir HaMalos was composed by Yaakov Avinu. In which case, I guess, what, what is going on over here? Yaakov is not even mentioned in the Gemara as one of the authors of Sefer Tehillim. And yet, here we say, for 20 years, Yaakov seems to have obsessed over these 15 Psalms. How do you work that out? First of all, I don't know the answer. 
and I looked and looked and looked. I couldn't find an answer. Nobody, nobody asked a question. I guess it's so simple that it's so obvious. Nobody even has to ask a question. I don't see why it's so obvious. I don't understand. I don't have, I mean, if he was saying it, then he must have known it. If he known it, where did he get it from? So did Abraham compose it and secretly tell it to Yaakov? That doesn't work out either because the, ver the verses or psalms that Abraham composed are introduced with mas masculine etan azrahi. And one of the commentators clearly emphasizes the notion that there is no attribution and there is no author. And the proof, the proof is because it says, Shahoya Lule Hashem Shahoyalanu, if not having God been with us, Yoimar no Yisrael, Yisrael says. All right, fine. So that's first of all not Psalm 120, but actually goes forward into Psalm 124. So it's four Psalms later where we have this notion of Yaakov who was saying that, if it, that David and Melch alludes that if not for this, Yaakov would not have been able to survive. Not for this, doesn't really say what. It says because God was with us, not because he was saying this. So this is like a problem. This is like a little bit of a challenge. and It's hard to understand the meaning of Yaakov was saying these 15 shirahamalos. I also don't understand how you could only say 15 shirahamalos for 20 years. It's like the Gemara, the Gemara seems to, that's all he was doing. Yaakov was doing shirahamalos for, for 20 years. <laughs> like it, takes, it takes five minutes to say 15 shirahamalos. Ten minutes to say 15 shirahamalos. If you're a really slow and methodical reader, you want to sing it and chant it, uh, maybe 12 minutes. What did Yaakov do for 20 years? How do we understand this medrash? So I'm going to conclude part one by sharing with you an amazing teaching from the Rebbe on the words shir hamalot. At least twice the Rebbe shared this teaching. Once in the summer of 1982 and then two years later when he was speaking to a group of school children called Tzivos Hashem, the Rebbe shared a similar teaching. This is a, I think, uniquely Labavach Rebbe perspective on the words Shir Hamalot. I don't know of this teaching found anywhere else. And the Rebbe says that on the surface, the notion of Shir Hamalot or song of ascents, ascents can be oxymoronic in nature. Why? So the Rebbe says like this, Shir, song, is synonymous with Simcha. Or joy. So songful joy is a sheer or joyfully expressed song. As Rashi says elsewhere, and the Rebbe quoted this once to a famous Hasidic singer, that Rashi says, Ein Adam Shor Shira, a person doesn't burst forth in song, Ella, unless he is in a state of joy. Only out of joy. So the Rebbe says, Shir, song, is synonymous with joy. Hama'alot. Ma'alot mean levels. It could mean stairs. It could mean the levels of a person's achievements, accomplishments. It could mean the notion of the growth, the plateau, new plateau of growth. A ma'ala is a level. The Rebbe said that ma'alot levels are the notion of human growth or achievement, the notion of going from one level 
to the next level, graduating levels. To graduate a level, to move away from one level, to move into a different operating sphere, to move into a different arena. That's called ma'alot. And the Rebbe says that when we have this aliyah, it's something that comes with tremendous toil, effort, and discomfort. So allow me to explain. You know, they say the day you stop living, learning is the day you stop living. A child goes to school. Presumably the child learns something every day. <laughs> they tell a story of a little boy who was being brought to school. And his mother said to him, Bubala, please take care of yourself. Okay, sweetie pie, sunshine of mine, this is your first day in school and you are the apple of my eye. You are my little Liebenkind, my love child. And the mother continued to use all these affectionate titles as she was bringing her child through the nursery school on the first day. And several hours later, mom shows up to pick up her little lechtekeit, her little source of light and pride. And she says, so, did you learn something today? And the little boy looks up with a big smile. He says, yes, I learned my name is Jacob. <laughs> okay, it's a joke. The point is, you go to school to learn. Presumably, if you miss a day, you miss something. You didn't just like, a day, a day, give me a day. If it's a day, you're supposed to learn something today. My kids would say, okay, dad, I'm calling in sick dad. I don't want to go to school today. So what are you going to miss learning? You have to have a good reason. So it's only one day. It's only one day. One day is a big deal. And one day you can learn something that will change your life. You never know what you're going to learn each day. I learn new things every single day of my life, Baruch Hashem. I try to. So I mean, a day is not like, oh, I missed a day. A day is a, an Aveda Shein Echazeres. You never get, get back a day. So a child will go to school. And they go to school every day. And presumably they learn new things every day. If not, maybe you should go to a different school. And then, at the end of the year, they finish grade 1, grade 2, grade 6, grade 7, whatever it might be. And they know when to go into the next grade. And skipping a day is not nearly as onerous as skipping a grade. And the first day of school is always exciting for children, and it also, for most children, comes along with discomfort and anxieties. It's different. It's a different classroom, it's a different teacher, it's a different style, it's a different level. And there's what we call in English a period of acclimatization, which is a term that's borrowed from the notion of climbing the Himalayas, if you want to climb Mount Everest, you're going to find yourself in trouble unless you're a Tibetan. The atmosphere is very thin there, and it simply doesn't have enough oxygen for most people. And what happens is that people born in those parts of the world, their lungs function differently. They, they don't need as much oxygen. They can live on thin air, but the rest of us can't. So, for example, if you be dropped off by a helicopter on the top of Mount Everest, you basically would suffocate. They'd have to drop you off there. If you parachute down there, be sure you're on oxygen. Because the air is too thin. The atmosphere is too high. The air is too thin. It gets more and more rarefied or thinner 
as we go higher in altitude. So what happens is that when they're going up the mountain, when they reach a certain point, and the, the people who take these tours, they know what they're doing. They know at what point the average person can no longer draw a safe breath. They break camp. It's called an acclimatization period. Your lungs have to get used to a new level of oxygen, a new kind of air. And then, and then you're ready to go further. So you break several times. That's, it's, a, also, it's literal, but it's also a metaphor. It's also a metaphor. When we go to the next level, it always comes with difficulty. The Alter Rebbe talks about this in his preface to the second section of Tanya, known as Shariich Damuna. He talks about the notion of Sheva Yipel Tzadik Vakam, that the Tzadik is trying to go from one level to the next, but in between there's this notion of falling, this notion of discomfort, this notion of uh, an inability to function. And you have to be ready to let go of your comfort zone in order to go to a new level and then get comfortable all over again. We're always supposed to be comfortably uncomfortable, but you have to be comfortably uncomfortable. And then when you're comfortable at what you're doing, then you're ready to go to the next level. The Rebbe says that ma'alot, new levels, are different from the notion of constant growth. Of course, he says, David HaMelech puts it succinctly in Psalm 84, he says, Tzadikim, and that refers to every Yid who has the concept of righteousness attached to him. Yelchu mechayil elchoyil, we go from strength to strength. Yes, okay, he says. If we go from strength to strength, a Yid's job is to be hoylech, to move forward, to be mitkadem, to proceed, to accomplish things. That's the job of a Jew. That's the job Hashem gave us. In fact, it's the job of a human being. You always want to grow. You want to develop. You don't want to stay in the same place. Imagine a child comes home from fifth grade. I'm very comfortable here. And the parents are going to go to sixth grade next year. I don't want to go to sixth grade. I know my way around here. I don't want to leave middle school. I don't want to go to high school. I'm really comfortable in middle school. I have my corner. I have my nook. I have my cranny. I have my people. I'm familiar. Everything's good. This is good. At some point, it's not so good. You have to be ready to grow. So the notion of growth is constant. But then there is a leap forward, graduating to a new level. And that is always fraught and difficult. In fact, even Neshamas in the other world continue to go from level to level. During the beginning, during the first 11 months, it's a very difficult adjustment period. So Kaddish is recited every day to alleviate the suffering, the travail, and the challenge so that the Neshama can triumph. And then, and then we say Kaddish but once a year. Because on the yard site, just as on the first time, the first date of passing, the Neshama went from a terrestrial embodiment into a whole new level. Every year the neshama goes into a whole new level. So Kaddish has to be said again. Going to a new level is a difficult thing. It's an onerous, even painful thing. And so the Rebbe said that Shir HaMa'alot is actually an oxymoron. That's not a joyful thing. It's a difficult thing. It's toil. It's discomfort. Discomfort and joy are not two peas in a pod. So the Rebbe said that the oxymoron of Shir HaMalot is to surge forward, to leap forward, to attain new levels. Not only to grow in a constant fashion, but to go into a whole new realm, to tackle new challenges, and to do it with joy. That's really hard. To do that with joy is a big deal. And the Rebbe said a person could say, hey, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm comfortable at this level. I'll keep growing every day. I don't want to go to a whole new level. I don't want to go to move to a new place, so to speak. 
I'm here. It's, it's fine. Why do I have to, to yearn for such heights? Why do I have to go to a whole new level of things? Take it to the next level. And the Rebbe says, you know why? Because Father Jacob did that. And he did that in the most difficult and trying of times. And if Yaakov did it, you can do it too. The point then is this. It's pretty clear from what the Rebbe says that the notion of the Shir HaMalot was not Yaakov simply mouthing these words or perhaps mouthing these words altogether. It was the spirit of the Shir HaMalot. The spirit that is expressed in these 15 Psalms represents, as the Rebbe sees it, the notion of growth to the next level, which is organically uncomfortable in a joyous fashion. That's what Yaakov is doing. So really, it's not reasonable to say that Yaakov composed these particular psalms. It is reasonable to say that Yaakov is the one who charts the path that is later captured by the words, the verses, and the psalms that comprise the Shir HaMalot. Much more about this and the notion of experiencing a whole new kind of growth in a joyous way, which seems to embody the ultimate essence of the concept of Shir HaMalot and how that relates to all of the deep history and the many details we've spoken about will be continued in the Ascent Part 2. Please be sure to join the Bezrat Hashem next week. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. May we continue together to go from level to level, from height to height, enjoy into such time as we'll be able to sing the Sher HaMalot as we are elevated each in accordance with our own level to Eretz Yerusalel HaShlema, to Yerushalayim, and ultimately into Beit HaMikdash HaShlishi, Bimheira, Ubi Amenu. Amen. Thank you.